Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We're back in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're finishing 2 Corinthians today. McGee says this is Paul's most personal letter to this church of of sort of rebels, this church that had a bunch of people in it that were questioning him, questioning his authority, questioning the gospel, um, maybe preaching a different version of the gospel. Um, I wonder if it's much like the church today preaching a different version of the gospel, taking a different spin on things, um, not really looking at what is the truth, but looking at what you want to be the the um, the best alternative to the truth. And Paul is, um, he's trying to take this head on and he's trying to counter all of their thinking. It's a very personal letter and he's been telling them about his own experiences and his own self. And he's saying, look, look at me, look at my life. Um, and, you know, I am a valid apostle of Jesus. If you want to know Christ, look at me because, you know, I have had, you know, I am the as authentic as it comes. And if you try to compare people and he's saying, I don't want to be compared to anybody, but if you have to use me to compare me to somebody else, they don't measure up if you wanted to make those comparisons. But he says, I don't want to even be compared in terms of boasting because the only boast I want to do is boasting in Christ. But if you're going to use me, if you're going to use me to um, to measure your own life by, if, if it helps you in some way to look at my life, then look at my life and use my life. And if you're the kind of person who needs my life to help you in your faith, then look at my life and let my life impact your faith. We need to hear that today, don't we? Don't we need to look around and find a role model? You can't find it in politics. You can't find it in sports hardly anymore. You can't find it maybe... in friends or family, sometimes. Sometimes you have a role model, but he's saying an ultimate role model of truth, an ultimate role model of Christ. And that's hard to come by. Paul says, hold me up and let me be your role model of Christ. Let me be. Look to Christ. And if you have to look to somebody trying to live it out, look to me. 
I'm speaking the truth. And he's saying, look, I know you're not doing right, and I'm coming back to see you. This will be the third time I'm coming back to see you, and I hope that I find you being redeemed, being repentant. And there's sin in the church. You got to deal with it. You can't have a church with unresolved sin any more than you can live your own life with unresolved sin because your body is a temple. So we're going to take up in verse 14. But he's going to be telling them this is really personal on how to live and how to think. Here for the third time, verse 14, chapter 12. Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours but you. I don't want your offerings and your money. I want you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but the parents for their children. In other words, I'm thinking like a parent towards you. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If any money is to be spent, it's the money of my own life. It's myself is what gets spent. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? In other words, if I love you so much like this, is it is is loving me less any way to treat me? No, I want your love in return. But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. And then Paul's asking sort of a rhetorical question here. Did I take advantage of you through any of those who I sent you? In other words, am I trying to take advantage of you by encouraging you in Christ? He's saying no. I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not have the same steps? Paul's saying, look, it's all consistent. It's all about Christ. It's not about ourselves. Verse 19, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? No. Paul's saying, look, it's not about our reputation at all. It's about Christ. We're not here to get you to think one way or the other about us. It's all for Christ. Any defense that we're making is so that you will see Christ better and better and better. He says, It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Everything is so that you may know Christ better. Verse 20, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. In other words, I'm scared you're going to be letting me down. And you're going to find me not very good for you because I'm going to be rebuking you. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. That's what he's scared he's going to find in the church. Do we have that in our own church? Do we have that in our own lives today? Are we quarreling with people? You need to get over it. Are you jealous? You need to get over it. Are you letting yourself get angry with other people? You need to get over it. Are you hostile to somebody else? 
You need to get over it. Are you slandering other people in your speech to make yourself feel better about yourself? You need to get over it. Are you gossiping about other people? Because it somehow fulfills something in your life more and more? You need to get over it. Are you conceited? Do you have conceit in what you're doing compared to somebody else? You need to get off your horse and get over it. Is there disorder in your life because you're pursuing things that aren't true and won't ever last? You need to get over that. Paul says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This church used to worship immoral acts and say it was part of worship. And who knows all of these things that these people were into. But we know that all of this stuff is not as Paul wants to find this church. Do we have that? Do we have impurities in our life or immoralities or sensualities in our life? We need to get over it. Paul is calling out sin in the church. He's calling out sin in people's lives. He says, this is the third, now we're in chapter 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you. He says it again. Every charge must be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while I'm absent, as I did when I was present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Paul's warning. Because there was sin in the church, and people were doing wrong, and people have to repent since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak, this is verse 3, in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. In other words, you saw him in his weakness when he was crucified, but now he's not weak anymore. He's powerful. He's exalted. For we are also weak in him, but... In dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. So it's not just about Christians being submissive and passive and weak, because in their weakness they have the power of God. He referred to it as the power of Christ. Chapter 12, verse 9. And then we saw it was called a divine power in chapter 10, verse 4. So we've got a divine power, we've got a power of Christ, and now we've got the power of God. This is powerful, right? It's all about power. Divine power, holy power, power of Christ, power of God, divine power. You have power to overcome this sin. You have the power of God 
to deal with stuff. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Impurity, immorality, sensuality. You have power in your life. And you can't have those things in your life. And when you're weak, maybe weak in some of this stuff, in your weakness, God gives you power. You live with Him by the power of God. That's how you live. How do you live? By the power of God. How do you overcome all this stuff? By the power of God. That's how you do it. You overcome it by the power of God. The power of Christ. Divine power. How do you live? Verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. If you're in the faith, you're living by the power of God. If you're not in the faith, you need to repent and, and then allow the power of God to work in you. He was crucified in weakness. You need to crucify yourself with him and be weak so that then through the power of God, you can be strong. Don't depend on yourself to overcome quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. Don't depend on yourself to overcome impurities and immoralities and sensualities. You can't depend on yourself for that. You have to crucify yourself to be weak so that you can depend on the power of God to overcome all that stuff and live by the power of God. So examine yourself. Then he says, test yourselves. Or do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? That's how you live. By Christ in you. Not of you in you, but of Christ in you. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Now, if you fail to meet the test, you got to crucify yourself so that you share that weakness with Christ so that you can share his strength. I hope, verse 6, that you will find out that we have not failed the test. In other words, I hope you find out that we are in Christ and that you don't like reject us as not being of Christ. But that you may do what is right, though we seem to have failed. You do what is right. We pray. Let me read that again. Verse 7. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may have seemed to have failed. In other words, he's saying that we're praying, he's praying for you guys to not fail. That's what he's praying for. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. McGee made this, he said, look, we can't do anything against this truth, this gospel message. We can't say anything bad about it. We can't, we're not going to argue about it. You can't do anything against this truth, this gospel message. So don't worry about arguing about it or defending, defending this word of God. Just give it out. Acknowledge it. 
That's what McGee says. He says, the times of arguing over this truth is over. Be done with arguing over this truth. Only before it. Just before this truth. You can't say anything against the truth. You can't say anything against the Word of God. People try and slander it and put it down. It's up to them. But you can't touch this truth. You can't do anything against this truth. You either accept it or you don't. Verse 9, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. We're glad. We want you to be strong. Stronger than us. Because in our weakness, we have the power of God to pray for you. Your restoration is what we pray for. That's what the whole thing is about. Being restored in Christ. Christ's power restores our life in our weakness so that we may become strong in Christ. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul talks about his authority here as an apostle, but his authority is not to lord over people, but is to build them up as a servant, not for tearing people down. It's about building one another up in Christ. That's what we're supposed to do too, right? Build one another up. Build one another up. Romans chapter 14 verse 19 says, So let us... So, excuse me. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's what we need to pursue, building one another up. Is that what we're doing? Or are we stuck in quarreling, arguing, jealousy, anger, all that stuff? You can't build anybody up if, if you're quarreling and angry. Paul says... Test yourself. Make sure you're in the Word of God. Make sure you're in Christ. And you can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. The gospel of Christ is the truth. Verse 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. In other words, be happy. Praise God. Aim for restoration. Be restored. That's what you want to aim for. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Don't argue. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The God of love and peace. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, apparently that was sort of a, a local practice, a, a cultural practice at special reunions among family members. It's sort of emphasizing the familiness of it when uh, my study Bible says usually reserved for special reunions among family members or formal greetings um, extending such a public kiss uh, to an entire group was a practice unique to the early church that signified their mutual acceptance as a family 
So he's not going out and telling to kiss everybody. It's it's kind of like at a family reunion or a fa- or acknowledgement of a, of being family. But in any event, all the saints greet you. Verse fourteen, the grace. This is this is really nice too. His closing, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's the Trinity. It's the Lord Jesus, the, the our loving Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, all in one. Be with you all. The, the gospel gift, gift of grace is our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God, who is the God of love and peace, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit the divine power in this fellowship. Be with you all. And as McGee says, maybe Paul was a Southerner, 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 because he, he keeps saying y'all, you all. He talks like we do. What a great study. Now we're going to turn the rest of the podcast over to our co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. It's hard to believe we finished this great book of 2 Corinthians. How about that? And as always, from me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your hearts centered on Christ on this great spiritual battlefield. And we'll see you next time tomorrow as we begin back in the Old Testament. I believe we're going to be back in the book of Esther. Looking forward to that. And as always, our prayers go up for sweet Emma and sweet Jean. Hello, so today we come to our last study in the book of 2 Corinthians, and our study is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 14, all the way through to chapter 13, verses 1 through to verse 14. So this study and journey in the book of 2 Corinthians has been amazing, and, you know, we have learned so much, and, um, you know, Paul has you know, actually talked about so much that we can actually relate to today. You know, he's talked about the comfort of God, the glory of God, and, you know, his endurance, that he doesn't mean to boast in any of it, but he was guided by the Holy Spirit to actually share with us for a reason. So, Scripture reads, verse 14 of Second Corinthians 12, Now, for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents. So Paul had been their spiritual father. So he was like their father, so he was laying up for the children, and that's how it's supposed to be today. We're supposed to get wisdom, and our parents are supposed to lay up for us, and we're supposed to get wisdom from our parents and not the other way around. So he had founded, uh, because Paul actually was a spiritual father, because he had founded the church in Corinth. Verse 15 goes on to read, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. 
So the Spirit of God had actually insisted that Paul talk about, you know, these things that Paul had actually endured. You know, the hardships and um, the beatings he got and his imprisonments and all. And the Spirit of God had not um, insisted that Paul tell them about his experience in third heaven. And one of the things that he had endured in in all that, everything that he had gone through, is that he actually loved these people. But many had not loved him in return. So Paul loved them. That's why he was able to actually go through all these um, problems. Verse 16 goes on to read, But be that as it may, I did not burden you, Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. So here, we should recognize that we are to be fishers of men. And the Lord Jesus Christ had told his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we ought to be fishers of men. And Paul is saying, and what Paul is saying is that the enemy was saying that Paul was you know, had used craftiness to actually get to these people. You know, he had used all these methods and all. That's what the enemy is claiming. And these people were being unfair um, to Paul because Paul didn't use any cleverness to actually win these folk over to Jesus Christ. He just preached the gospel. Verse 17, because I'm to read, did I take advantage of of you by any of those whom I sent you. So Paul is saying he didn't use any clever methods and he didn't send other men to actually make a gain of them. Verse 18 goes on to read, I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Okay, so Titus was the same man among them as well. You know, like Paul, they walked in the same spirit. Verse 19 goes on to read again. Do you think that we execute ourselves to you? We speak. before God in Christ but we do all things beloved in beloved for your edification for verse 24 I fear least that I come for I fear least when I come I shall not find you such as I wish and that I shall be found by you <coughs> such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whispering, conceits, tumults. So, the you know, they are the things that Paul actually expected to find there in the church. And you do find these things in the church today, you know, people backbiting and whispering behind everyone's backs and tumors just blowing up and whispers and all these things. 
And um, Paul actually expected to find these things because these people were carnal Christians. They were still babes in Christ. Verse 21 goes on to read. Least when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have <clears throat> sinned before and have not repented for the uncleanliness, fornication, lewdness, which they have practiced. So Corinth was a very vile city, and it was known throughout the whole Roman Empire as a sin center. So it was the place where people went to sin, and their sin abound, grace abounded more. So the sin that was there caused the people to look lightly upon, you know, these things that mentioned here, the the lewdness, uh, the uncleanness, the fornication, because it was already sin. So people thought, eh, this is the way of life, it's normal. Okay, so now we get to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, we have the execution of Paul's apostleship in verses 1 through to verse 10. And then we have the conclusion of Paul's apostleship from verse 11 to verse 14. So verse 1 of chapter 13 reads, This will be the third time I am coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. So Paul repeats that this is the third time he's coming to them. And Paul is not going on saying that any everything is to be authentically authenticated sorry when he gets there everything is going to be brought right into the open and Paul will exercise his office as an apostle and he's going to show proof of his apostleship through the power of Christ Jesus working in Paul's weaknesses verse 2 goes on to read i have told you before and foretell as if i were present the second time and now being absent i write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that i come again i will not spare since you seek a proof of christ speaking in me who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. So Paul came there in weakness, but the word of God was mighty and transformed him in the sin-sick city of Corinth. Verse 4 goes on to read, For though we have crucified in weakness, yet he lives in the power of God, for he, for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. So we have here something about the weakness of God. So the weakness of God is when he went on the cross, and Paul makes it clear that we should have a regular inventory to see whether we are in the faith or not. So we should at least maybe, you know, 
twice or three times a year. Just check if we are um, to see, you know, whether we are in the faith or not. You know, just make a checklist and just check are we in the faith or not. Verse 5 goes on to read, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? So every Christian regularly, so they have, this has nothing to do with actually uh, free will, election, or the security of a believer. Every Christian regularly should check. But this is, you know, this is actually an inventory that every believer should make. We should examine ourselves and see if we are in the faith or not. Verse 6 goes on to read, But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. So Paul, um, and verse 7, sorry, let me just read verse 7 as well. Now I pray to God that you do not, sorry, now I pray to God that you do not evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. So I saying he made an inventory of his life, and he knows he's not reprobate or disqualified. He, and he's saying that he just wants these folk to be the type of believers that they should be. And if they're actually in the faith. Verse 8 goes on to read. For we can do nothing against the truth. But for the truth. So you can't do anything against the truth. So you don't have to worry about the people who disagree with the truth. We should declare the word of God. That's our business. And not actually defend it. As it doesn't need defending. We should just give out the word and God will actually bless it. Verse 9 goes on to read, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. So he doesn't mean perfect in the sense that we think of it, but that we actually grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ so that we be mature Christians. So he's just saying to the Corinthians, grow up. You can't remain babes in Christ, just grow up. Verse 10 goes on to read, Therefore I write these things, being absent, least being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. So now Paul says he's glad he can write to them at this particular time. That's what he's just saying. Verse 11 goes on to read, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with will be with you so he's telling them to be complete 
and to grow up here. So it is saying. So be of comfort. So now we go back to you know our first um topic when we first started in first Corinthians and we're back at the comfort of God. So it means help. So the comfort of God means help. It means one called to be um one called to our side to help us to strengthen us, to encourage us. So God wants to do this for us and he can help us um, through his word by ministering to us by the Holy Spirit so we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. Verse 12 goes on to read, Greet one another with a holy kiss. So this is be of one mind. So that's the mind of Christ. We should live in peace. And the peace he made by the blood on the cross. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Rejoicing in your salvation. God is with us always. Verse 13 goes on to read. All the saints greet you. So here Paul is very personal. And verse 14 goes on to read, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So may all the blessing of the Trinity be with you all. We should revel what we have in Christ. We should bear a witness in the world today. So... And this comes to the end of our teaching in the book of Second Corinthians. It's been a great journey. It's been a comfort. And, you know, we should um, live these words. You know, we should glory in Christ. We should take an inventory um, of ourselves. Are we still in the faith? And, you know, we should always, always remember that you know, God is our comfort, he's our help, he's there to encourage us through his word, he's there to um, be, he's actually just there for us, and uh, this is what we should always remember. Thank you all for listening in, God bless you all, and have a pleasant day, bye-bye.